Today our gospel lesson comes from the Gospel of John. I'll be reading from the 10th chapter, verses 1 through 10. Again, that is the Gospel of John, chapter 10, verses 1 through 10. I invite you, if able, to stand for the reading of the gospel lesson. Very truly, I tell you, anyone who does not enter the sheepfold by the gate but climbs in by another way is a thief and a bandit. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought them out, all his own, he goes ahead of them. And the sheep follow him because they know his voice. They will not follow a stranger, but they will run from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. Jesus used this figure of speech with them. But they did not understand what he was saying to them. So again, Jesus said to them, Very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and bandits, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters by me will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. The thieves come only to steal, to kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. The word of God for the people of God. God. Now when we talk about various passages of Scripture, some are more familiar to us, others not quite as much, and some kind of fall in the middle. They sound familiar. I know actually the part of this passage that you're more familiar with actually starts on the verse after I end. It says, I am the good shepherd. Matter of fact, I kind of looked at people when they looked up, and they, I, I'm pretty sure some of y'all were waiting for me to get to that. And I will. But what we have to understand is that there are lots of conversations and dialogues that Jesus has that are recorded in the Gospels. They're recorded in the Gospels in such a way that the Gospel writer, empowered by the Holy Spirit, enabled by the Holy Spirit, was bringing forth an understanding of who Christ was and what that meant, and thus giving us a representation, giving us a slice of the life and the teachings and the times of Jesus Christ that we who come after would also know and be able to believe. And a lot of the metaphors that are used, a lot of the images that are used, sometimes can be confusing. Sometimes they can be a little outdated. I've asked this before, and I, I know that we don't. We've we've had, had people from our church in 4-H who have raised sheep, but we don't have any sheep farmers in here, as far as I know, right? I used to love to ask that in the military because they'd look at me and go, "What?" Yeah, because you know, planes and sheep don't mix. Because when the planes come in and the sheep are on the runway, it's bad for everybody, except for they're usually barbecue afterwards. So, well, in reading some of these things, how do we really understand the parts of Scripture? Have you ever read a passage in the Bible and just gone, hmm, what was that? You know, and maybe you reread it thinking, okay, I might have gotten distracted. I know sometimes when I'm reading, I'm in the middle of reading, and all of a sudden a thought will come into my head, and I will follow that rabbit down its hole. And, but my eyes will keep reading, and suddenly I'm like a couple passages past where I was, and I'm like, what did I just read? 
But there are also times when I go back and reread it and reread it, and it's like I just not quite sure I get it. I think I got it. I have an inkling of what it might mean. And so they have these things called commentaries, which are um, great theologians and thinkers, both of the past and present, those who have dedicated their lives to the study of Scripture, both in English but also in its original languages. And they have really, really big brains. And they put out these books, and of course, you know, in seminary, it was required reading. So I have a, a bookshelves full of these books. I like to refer to that as my expensive wallpaper. Because most of the time they sit up there, because some of the commentaries as I read, I read them and I see where they're going, but I don't quite believe what they're putting out. And that happened to me on this passage. Because the commentators were saying that this often confuses people, this particular passage, because at first we talk about the shepherd and then, you know, Jesus is talking about being the shepherd, but then all of a sudden he becomes the gate through which the shepherd comes and the sheep come. And they say that confuses people, you know. And their explanation for that is, well, these must have been two previous writings that John included together and kind of just stuck them in there and it, it flowed, but it had a little bit of a bump. And I'm thinking, well, that's odd. I mean, if this was just a regular book, if this was just a authorship of a human nature, I would believe that there are bumps, that there are places where things don't quite meet up. But I always have told you, and I confess wholeheartedly, that the scriptures are without error. There is no contradiction within the Bible. That it is breathed by God, the Holy Spirit inspired, and therefore the scriptures are perfect. And then people will say, but why are there so many translations? And I would offer them, why are there so many different faces? Because God is a God who loves variety. But even in the different wordings used, even in the different language that is translated in, if you read the scripture while praying that the Holy Spirit allows you, no matter what it is you read, and whether it's the good news, the King James, the New Revised, the New English, even if you can go back and translate from the ancient Greek, Unless the Holy Spirit is opening the text to you, there will be confusion and you will see discrepancies. You will see errors. They're not there. Those errors are actually within the person reading them. But as I said, a lot of these scholars are, um, they have many degrees and they have a lot of people telling them how smart they are. And I hate to say it, but sometimes the smarter you get, the harder it is for you to admit that you just don't know. That you just don't get this. Matter of fact, when I was in seminary, oftentimes we would have debates. And I remember one professor had called, well, he had said a, a controversial statement. And unfortunately, um, I kind of went, <clears throat> which was heard by the professor who stopped his teaching. Was, Mr. Horton, apparently you have a comment you want to make on this. And I didn't. And I really wish I could have rewound it. Backed it up because this professor was very well, he's published like 60 some odd books, he's very well known. And he goes, well maybe you can tell us your interpretation of this scripture. And my friends beside me were kind of laughing. They're like, yeah, did it now. And I said, well sir, 
I believe what you said was an error and that this is what I believe the scripture to be saying. And this was in a exegetical class for Hebrew, so I had to study the Hebrew language. And of course, I had one semester of Hebrew, so I was really good at it. <laughs> this man had a PhD in Old Testament studies. I was right there on par. He's like, well, would you like to show me in the Hebrew where you came up with this astounding understanding? And I went, um, I can't do that. And my friends were still laughing at me. He says, well, then would you like to help me understand how it is that you came up with this interpretation and that you would interrupt my class to share it? Now, at this point, my friends stopped laughing because they started feeling sorry for me. Because, you know, you could just, you could just tell the spotlight on me, and the camera was getting higher and higher, and he's ready to, uh, you know, it's never good to be the tallest neck on the board. That's the one that always gets hit. And I looked at him and said, well, sir, the only explanation I can have for my interpretation is that it was given to me by the Holy Spirit. At which time, this bear of a man, this towering intellect, he was not physically intimidating, but he did have a presence goes, good enough for me, and we moved on, much to the surprise of myself and all of my classmates. Afterwards, he talked to me, he said, well, actually, that was the, he was one of these professors that liked to say things sort of controversially to see if anybody would challenge, if anybody would step up to the plate. And while it had not been my intent, it's kind of like in the military when they ask for a volunteer and you stand firm and all your buddies take a step back. Yeah, that's kind of what the class was like for me. Well, in doing so, it, you know, I do prize the idea of study you know, and, and, and really getting into the Scripture. So I'm not saying you should, you should never study Scripture or never read commentaries or never re listen to anybody else. But always balance that with knowing that it is the Holy Spirit that gives all of us wisdom. For the wisdom of man is foolishness before God. And God makes the foolish wise. So I think in reading this particular passage, we have to understand a couple of things. First, we started in the middle of the conversation. When Jesus starts talking about sheep and thieves and bandits and all of that, that was not the beginning of the conversation. This conversation actually started at the beginning of chapter 9, where Jesus had come across the man who was born blind from birth and had healed him, and then... Everybody was astonished that this man blind from birth was healed, and the Pharisees asked him, and they found out that it was Jesus, so they got a little bit upset, not to mention it happened on the Sabbath, so they were upset. And basically trying to draw their little circle around Jesus. They're trying to basically put down this young upstart. You know, and the story I just told you, I guess, would be kind of what was happening to Jesus in this case. All of these smart, wise, learned men were going to show this hick from Nazareth, this upstart, you know, they were going to put him in his place. And so as they come to him and ask him about the healing, and he basically says that, you know, he came, the Son of Man came, to bring sight to the blind and bring blindness to those who could see. And, of course, they didn't get what he was saying. And so as Jesus normally did, instead of explaining what he had just said, he went on and then explained it in a couple of different ways. And so immediately when he begins talking about these thieves and bandits that come in by other means, 
He's talking about the Pharisees. He's talking about those who would criticize the work of God because they didn't understand it, because they themselves were not involved in it. Because they themselves were not coming into the true entryway, but were trying to sneak their way in into righteousness, to sneak sneak their way in into being holy and revered. They were trying to do it according to man's customs. They dressed the right way. They said the prayers the right way. They were seen as better than the rest of the flock. And yet now, Jesus identifies them, and rightly so, as thieves and bandits, because they did not come in. But then it says they did not understand. And see, this is why we have to go back, because the they he is talking about in this is it's the Pharisees that did not understand what he just told them. They didn't understand he had just insulted them. You know, it's kind of like the southern bless your heart. We all know when someone says that, something really ugly is coming down the pipe. But you say that to somebody who's not from around here, and they go, oh, wasn't that sweet? Yeah, it was not. And so he then tells them about the gate. He says, I am the gate. Those who enter by me, they will be saved. They will come in and go out, and they will have great pastures. They will have life, and they will have it abundantly. And I... Be willing to bet it again at this point, they didn't get it. And they didn't get it, again, because they were the thieves and the bandits. And quite frankly, if someone is telling a story about thieves and bandits, who is going to say, yep, that's me. I'm one of the bad guys here. We don't want to involve ourselves in that part of the story. But I would go further that the thieves and the bandits that he was talking about here were not just the Pharisees then, because when Jesus tells a story, and it is recorded Holy Scripture, that means that story was not just for the people present. Because I'd be willing to bet there were lots of things that Jesus said. Matter of fact, John even confesses that if all the things that Jesus ever said were written down, the whole world could not contain the volumes that would be produced. And yet, this one was included. And so, it's also important for us to understand. You see, in this story, Who are we? There you go, the sheep. Everybody's afraid to say, we're the sheep, and we say it sheepishly. Yes, we are the sheep. And of course, as I mentioned before, it's one of those animals that oftentimes, I mean, there's not a whole lot of teams. I mean, you have the rams, which are sheep, but they're the rams. But you don't have any group that's got like a little Bo Peep and a little flock, the sheep. Who are we playing against in the championship? Oh, we're playing against the mighty sheep. Well, we'll go ahead and get our sizes for our rings then. We are the sheep. If we are the sheep, who is our shepherd? Jesus. See, I told you, my questions really aren't hard. It's Jesus. Now, who are the thieves and the bandits? Begin. Well, he is the chief thief and bandit, but unfortunately, he's got a lot of helpers. The thieves and the bandits are anything, any voice that calls us in a direction other than the direction the shepherd would have us go. Now, the problem with this as we read it, it says that the sheep in this do not go after the other shepherds. 
And yet in Peter, we hear about the sheep that go astray. And we know, if we are the sheep, we personally, individually know sheep who have gone astray. And oftentimes, we don't have to look any further than our own mirror to see one. Now, we much prefer to see the other ones that we point at and we comment on, which, of course, then also is going astray. And the problem with this is that when Jesus was talking about these twofold and these two images, if you then go even deeper, there is a theological idea that is being shared here. And it's fleshed out in other parts of Scripture. But that is the duality of Christ, which means that we confess Christ as fully human and fully divine. And so he is the shepherd, the one who comes in bodily form, the one who is with his sheep, and his sheep know personally. And he is the gate, which is a representation of the divine. For the divine is who promises salvation and promises enduring life in green pastures like we read in our call to worship in Psalm 23. It is the gate. And so in this, John, through the power of the Spirit, is both parts of Jesus Christ, his humanity and his divinity. And in so, that is where we as the sheep actually find our hope. It says that he has lives prepared for us to live abundantly. Anyone that does not come in by the gate is a thief and a bandit. Anyone who calls the sheep who is a stranger is a thief and a bandit. Anyone who would distract us from Jesus Christ at the center of our lives is a thief and a bandit. And some of the thieves and the bandits aren't all that bad. You know, it's not some guy hiding in an alley with a pistol or a knife. Some of the thieves and the bandits are pretty sly. I mean, think about it today. When people steal, oftentimes they, they steal by conning by convincing somebody there's something they need, by scamming. And I'll tell you, in our world, there are lots of cons and scams. As I mentioned at the beginning of this, there are those that would say that the Bible has errors. How could these things possibly have happened? Well, I can tell you they did. I cannot tell you how other than the fact that it is by the sheer will of God. And most of the people that will criticize that don't have that faith, don't have that understanding. They don't have that trust. And so when you say, well, God can do anything, they go, well, that couldn't be done. That is impossible. A man cannot walk on water. Water does not transmute into wine. How on earth could you fit every animal into an ark? How can all of humanity come from two people? There are all kinds of things that people will say because they don't understand how it happened and I'll tell you, I know a lot of things about a lot of things, but I don't know that. And quite frankly, God did not condescend to tell us that because that was where our faith comes in. The answer is, how did that happen? It happened because God made it happen. And God made it happen in his own way. And he revealed to us the parts of it that we needed to know that were important for us. But even we go back to that original sin. What was Adam and Eve's problem? They were in the perfect place. But why did they sin? Because they wanted to know as much as God wanted to know. 
They wanted to know for themselves. And sometimes that is the biggest trick that plays on us, is trying to get us to want to know for ourselves and want to think for... And I'm not saying we shouldn't think for ourselves. We're not... This is not a cult. I'm not trying to brainwash anybody. But there is a limit to our thinking. We must understand our limits. And when we can't understand, that's when we have to put in place our faith. Our understanding... It doesn't say in the Bible, he who understands is saved. It is, you were saved by your faith, by trusting in what God was doing, by trusting in what the shepherd had done and would do and had promised to do for us. And so, Peter sums it up wonderfully as he talks about this. First of all, he's, he's initially talking in this, he's talking to a household and telling various parts of the household um, what their role is. And quite frankly, uh, we left off the first verse of this area where it was basically telling slaves, if you're a slave, then be a good slave, whether your master is cruel or not. But let's face it, that's kind of hard to hear in today's world because there have been some that have said, see, this justifies slavery, and it doesn't. But what it says, and what a lot of Scripture will say, is not that whatever negative situation you're in, whatever pain and suffering you're in, it doesn't say that it's good. It doesn't say that that is right, but what it says is that is a space where God meets you. God is with you in there. God will help deliver you from that, and deliverance may not look like what you expect, so he tells them, whether your master is good or bad, be faithful, because as a Christian, you should endure, as Christ endured. Think about what Christ did. When Christ suffered all he suffered on the way to the cross when he was beaten and scourged and betrayed. We all know that Jesus was fully divine, the Son of God. Could he not have called down legions of angels and wiped out all those who stood against him? Of course he could. Even after being nailed to the cross where they mocked him, if you were truly the Messiah, then save yourself and come down from the cross. Could he have come down from that cross? Absolutely. But he was modeling for us what Isaiah had prophesied, the suffering servant, the one who would submit to God's will and not trust in his own strength, not trust in his own works, not trust in his own abilities, but trust that God had a plan. Now, does this mean if you're suffering that you should just suffer and not ever try to find any remedy? No. But it means that you should pray about it and allow God to develop that remedy in you. Sometimes he will find you a remedy. And since we've already talked about slavery, was not a remedy found? Eventually. And slaves were escaped and slaves were set free. And eventually the Emancipation Proclamation happened. And so God worked through all those things. But what we are told is, in our suffering, don't first look to your own strength, but look to the Lord's strength and look to what the Lord has done as proof positive. Jesus Christ went to that cross. Even though he had prayed before, Father, if it, is, if it is possible, take this cup from me, but thy will, not my will. And so he went to the cross and he died because the faith allowed him to trust that God's plan would work out perfectly. 
He did so that we too, when the night is dark, when the pain is overwhelming, when the temptation has gotten the best of us again, that we too know that even in our suffering, Christ has paid the price. Christ has given us the way. Christ, the good shepherd, the gate, has prepared for and is the place of our salvation, the abundance in our lives. And so when we look into the darkness of this world, when we look into the pain and the suffering in our own lives, I'm not telling you to rejoice in that, but to rejoice in the fact that God is with you in that. Trust that he has you. Now, I'm not saying go it alone, you know, keep a stiff upper lip. That's not the remedy. That is when we're called into community to call upon our Christian brothers and sisters. There are other passages of Scripture that are on that. But the one I read today was one that specifically tells us we are sheep. We are sheep that belong to the good shepherd. And he will take us into that perfect place. He will make us to lie down in green pastures beside still waters. The rod and the staff that he carries will comfort us. And what's the end of that? And I will live in the house of the Lord forever. What we face now is so little compared to that. But it's not insignificant enough that God doesn't care. And he walks with us. Again, the shepherd and the gate. The humanity of Christ that showed us the way and the divinity of Christ, which guarantees and makes it certain. The cross should always be a reminder of God's justice, and most importantly, of God's love. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let us pray. Father God, I give you thanks and praise for being that shepherd for us and protecting us from the wolves, protecting us from the thieves, the bandits, and all that would do us harm. And even when we go astray, Lord, you continue to call us back and seek us out. And so we offer you our prayers of praise and thanksgiving. We pray this in Christ's holy name. Amen? Amen. Amen.